Hello, you're listening to Just Screen It, Case Studies in Creative Distribution. I'm your host, Colin Stryker, and I am not an expert in indie film distribution. I am an independent filmmaker working towards making my first narrative feature a horror film entitled The Grove. Uh, As I've been contemplating my own eventual distribution strategy, I've come to the conclusion that we need more data, more transparency, more information about how the various distribution options that are out there have worked for people. So I decided to start this podcast to help capture some of the experiences of those who have already been through it, whether successful or otherwise, and from those experiences, help both listeners and myself better understand this really complex, crazy landscape of independent film distribution today. So each week, I'll be bringing on a filmmaker who has self-distributed or been personally involved in the distribution of their film. My hope is that future filmmakers can take the knowledge gleaned from the show and use it to make their own decisions on how to best distribute their films. Hey, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Epstein, a Los Angeles-based filmmaker with several low-budget and self-described weird features to his and his partner's name. Our conversation covers the beginning of his career, his varied stories and experiences distributing each of his feature films, and his current plans for his latest feature, The Once and Future Smash, along with its companion throwback horror film, Endzone 2. Michael's experience with these films amounts to a virtual overview of the state of low-budget indie film distribution over the past decade with some hard lessons learned along the way. Michael is wonderfully transparent in this interview, giving us lots of good insight into budget and revenue numbers. I love when they do that. I can't wait to bring you this fantastic conversation. So without further ado, here is my chat with the accomplished Michael Epstein. Mike Epstein, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me here. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. So yeah, just maybe just start out and give us a little bit of your origin story, how you got into filmmaking, and then we'll get you know into your actual experiences and distribution experiences after that. Sure. Yeah. Well, as a, as a young person, I always enjoyed film. I always was gravitated toward the kind of weirdest, most kind of subversive, strange things I could find. Yeah. And then kind of going through my interests, I got really more focused on music and started doing music and playing in bands and such as a a teenager going into college and and beyond. And so for many years, I played in bands, kind of toured the country in bands and wrote songs and film film got pushed to the side, though I continued to enjoy as a consumer. Uh, And then around the early 2000s to about 2010, a couple of the bands I was in, we started making music videos and we got really interested in that because it, it, it proved to be something that was very, it, it attracted a lot of attention. We did really well with music videos. One, one of the bands I was in was called The Motion Sick. We had a song called 30 Lives and we made a music video for that. And it ended up in, in a bunch of the Dance Dance Revolution games around that point. So, you know, that enc- encouraged us to continue on that path. Yeah. The downside to that is that music videos are 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 expensive if you're hiring, you know, l- large production companies to do them or, or groups of people to do them. So we started thinking about it and we thought, you know what, we can just buy some gear. We have creative ideas and we can figure out how to how to do this ourselves. And we started making music videos ourselves for, you know, a few different projects and found that we were quite successful with those as well that we were able to get them, you know, into into uh, outlets that were useful and get a lot of views on YouTube. This is, you know, early early YouTube days. And somehow, you know, that that just led into us thinking, I guess it's a uh, hubris or, or some some kind of you know mental mental problem. But we were like, 
it can't be that hard to make feature films. We're already mm -hmm. we're already making music videos. What what's right. the what's, what where's the challenge? Just a there? small leap, right? Yeah, <laughs> tiny leap. So in 2012, we decided to just jump in and make our first feature film. We had done maybe a few shorts, but not even not even that many. Just we just kind of like went for it, and so uh, started making feature films around 2012, and then that has really become our focus since then. I've made. Um, it's hard. It depends on what counts and what doesn't, but you know, five, six features or, or so. Yeah. And done a number of anthologies, many shorts, many, many other projects since then, produced projects for other people. So yeah, we've been been pretty, pretty, you know, dead and focused on the film world. And the music has kind of fallen by the wayside, other than doing like music for for film and you know, scoring and, and kind of writing songs for the the projects we're doing. But that's kind of that's kind of the path, I guess. Yeah, cool. So, and I'm sorry, I, maybe I missed this or, 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 yeah, maybe I missed this when you were first talking, but when you say we, who do you mean we? Do you have kind of a group? Sorry, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, good. That's a great question. I didn't actually clarify that. M most of the work that I do is with my partner, Sophia Cassiola. So we started out playing in bands together, eventually got married and then started collaborating on film together. So mo most of the projects, yeah, most of the projects are, are in conjunction with Sophia. Sometimes we do things on our own, but but majority. And we have a production company called Launchover. Then that's basically the two of us, yeah. And whoever we whoever we drag into our into our troublemaking. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for for just kind of clarifying that. Just wanted to understand. Yeah. Who yeah. Yeah. We're talking about. I forget. I forget that it's not obvious sometimes. Like I, yeah. I just like, <laughs> no, no, it's like totally it, fine. Yeah. So do you have like kind of a, a genre that you work in? Do you have a, a general overarching kind of film that you make? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we love. I always kind of say we love horror. That's kind of our number one thing. But it's like it's it's a little bit more than that. I, I like the uh, European term fantastique because it kind of describes films that are not realism. You know, it's films that are not necessarily grounded in realism. So that could be horror, sci-fi. It could be you know bizarre films, wh whatever yeah. that is. So I, I sort of feel like that's the realm that we we love watching films in that realm, and we love making films in that realm. So we made it. We made some sci-fi films. We made some horror films. We made a lot of comedy recently. Somehow, like strange, strange comedies. But yeah, horror is sort of our our love, I guess. If I had to, you know, pick one one thing to say, I think horror is kind of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I watched just one of your films, The Once and Future Smash, and, and enjoyed that. That's. Do you want to maybe so that I don't have to say it? What say kind of what the what that film's about? And uh, sure, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So Once and Future Smash is our film that it's we're running actually running a Kickstarter campaign to do the release now. It's about to come out. It is a mockumentary about the two guys who played the slasher character Smash Mouth in the 1970 film End Zone 2. It takes place in the, in the present day where we're looking at kind of what their lives are like now as they kind of vie to be a part of the reboot of that series, the, of the End Zone series at a convention. It also involves a lot of talking heads from the horror world discussing the context in which the end zone film series was important to their careers and to their, you know, influence them in different ways and, and such. And we've admitted this at this point in the beginning, it was kind of secretive what was real and what wasn't real because we just thought it was a fun, fun game. But we basically made end zone two. We made our best approximation of a 1970 film. And so we have those films kind of as a pair and did festivals often as a, a double feature with those. And we're going to be releasing them together now. So yeah. 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 It's a really cool kind of concept. And and I, I was going to ask you that to see if you would actually offer an answer, you know, whether it ends up yeah. too. Was, <laughs> right. I didn't think it was real. I didn't have heard of it from anywhere else and all that kind of thing. Right, but you right. never know. So, but yeah, no, that's a, it's a cool pairing and, and yeah, it's kind of an impressive list of 
uh, you know, real horror film people in the horror film world from back then that you got to kind of interview in this mockumentary and really cool to see that. Yeah, thank you. It kind of came together with our producing partner, a guy named Neil Jones, yeah. and he does a podcast called Without Your Head, where he interviews, he's been interviewing horror kind of legends for, for decades at this point. Oh, okay, um, cool. And so he kind of knew all those people. And and so, you know, it's a, it's a weird ask to, to say like, hey, will you appear in this in this mockumentary as yourself, kind of claiming that this film that you've never seen and don't know anything about was like influential to you and was important in your career and such. And uh, shockingly, like uh, uh, quite a few people said yes. I mean, I, I don't I don't know why they said yes, but they trusted him and they trusted us. And we, you know, we were really thrilled by the 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 caliber of people that we got, the types of people, and they were all 100% in on it, on the like the the premise of it. And as far as I know, everyone who's seen it, and there were a number of them at the premiere and such, they've all loved it so far. So they're all happy. They think we've done them done them justice. In, in oh, the I think so. Yeah, them. yeah, totally. Yeah. Let's um, maybe, you know, we'll kind of get back to that. I know that you have, you know, current efforts that you're undertaking, and I certainly want to give you a chance to plug everything you're doing now. Sure. But let's go back a little bit, if you don't mind, to like kind of your first feature. What was that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of tell us how that all came together. And then we'll sort of get into sure. or directly into your distribution experience after that. Absolutely. So in 2012, we just decided, what the heck, let's make a feature. I, yeah. I don't know why that's a good idea, but we did it. <laughs> we, we all do it. Shot. We all wanted that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me, me and Sophia and then, you know, a number of collaborators kind of got together. We wrote a, a script called 10, kind of a little bit of a deconstruction of like the Agatha Christie, 10 Little Indians or, or and then there were none kind of story where a group of people are brought to a, a house or a mansion and they're killed off one by one for some reason. And there's a mystery to it. And in our, our version of it, there's a, a twist about why that happens. And it's very different. It's a, it's, it was our attempt to make a, a, a kind of a story about performative identity. And each of the characters has a very specific kind of like identity trope attached to them. So, you know, we're being very pretentious and already with our, especially their first film. So we made that and uh, that premiered in 2014. It took us a little while. We shot it late, late 2012, premiered in 2014. You know, we thought like, We'll just make one film. That'll be that'll be it. But unfortunately for everyone, people were very nice to us and encouraged us, and <laughs> it, it played in a number of festivals. And we signed a, a distro deal with a you know with a small company called Brink Vision at that time. And so you know the movie got put out, played fest, and everybody's like, "What are you doing for your next movie?" And so we were like, "I guess we should continue from here." So yeah. so that was kind of the the, the starting point. Well, that's great that like you came out of that so many filmmakers come out of these experiences you know their first film and it's, it's so hard and i don't you know like once you get done with the production of it a lot of filmmakers don't realize how much work you have to do afterwards oh, yeah. and it's you know it's so hard you know so to kind of go on from there and be enthusiastic about making your next film and your next film after that that's really great so well a hundred percent of the time after we finish like you know the next Three weeks after we finish, or like I'm never making a movie ever yes. again. Like this yeah. is a horrible, terrible idea. What are we? What are we thinking? And then like a month goes by, we're like, okay, I got some ideas for, for stuff, and yeah, yeah, and totally. it starts. To, you know, it's like I, I I haven't given birth, but I've heard this is the story of giving birth. It's like the, <laughs> the, the worst, the worst pain and possible experience. And then like a little while later, you're like, I want to have another baby. Like that's that's kind of where where we are with movies. You know, we, we suffer a lot, and then we forget the suffering somehow and, and yeah. move on. Yeah, the, the the human brain has an enormous capacity to forget that <laughs> suffering. And it's just like, That's right. yeah, totally. So cool. And I'm sorry, what was that film called again? It's called 10. 10, right, right, right. Okay, so as you're going into making 10, did you have kind of any kind of distribution plan at all? Did you, or were you just, was it kind of a situation where you're just going to make the film, see what happens? 
Yeah, we, we didn't know anything. Like, we yeah. literally, I mean, it's not possible to know less than we knew about filmmaking when we started that film. I think we everything we learned, we just watched, like, uh, you know, bonus features on, on DVDs and stuff and and what, read, you know, Lloyd Kaufman's uh, Make Your Own Damn Movie and yeah. all, all those kind of those kind of books. Yep, yep. But yeah, we knew nothing. We knew nothing about distro. We're just like, we'll make a film. Maybe it'll be something that somebody will be willing to watch and then we'll figure out what to do with it after. But yeah, yeah. absolutely no plan. Yeah. Okay. And so how did it do? Like, did it, did it get to a point where it was actually earning any revenue for you or did you just kind of go on to make your next film? Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know that it even, it wasn't a very expensive film and we, we did a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for it. Part of the reason we were able to do that, it was kind of a, a, a unusual situation, but we already had like a little bit of a fan base, not, not huge, but a little bit from doing music. And so we were able to say to kind of all of our music people, we're like, hey, you've enjoyed our music. How would you like to, some, for some dumb reason, you know, trust in us to make a film now? You know, a number of people gave us money. And so we were able to raise a good portion of the budget through that. So it didn't, we, you know, we didn't really it wasn't a high risk to make the movie. Right, right. And then we, we got paid by the distributor. We made some money. It wasn't a lot. I don't know if the film like 100% broke even or not. I'm trying to remember. I think it's around break even at this point. Yeah. But the, the budget was like maybe $30,000. Okay. Okay. That's still pretty good. Uh, you know, to make back $30,000 is pretty good, at least by today's standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we raised about twenty. you know, to, to cover the initial expenses anyway. So yeah. By the time it all kind of came together, it wasn't that much money that we needed to make. But that was also a different time because I think, you know, DVD sales were much higher. There were, there were a lot of things that were in favor of the movie doing well that have changed now that make it more yeah. challenging. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, we, and we'll, definitely we'll get to that. Get to <laughs> yeah. that. yeah. <laughs> so, so you go off of the success of this and your next film. What was the next film after that? So we made a film called Magnetic. It's a, a very strange kind of sci-fi one, more or less one person film traveling all around a lot of kind of like strange visuals uh, a lot of things that are sort of related to uh, Alice in Wonderland in, in a strange way kind of about a person who she is kind of grappling with the end of the world and it keeps the world keeps ending because of a cosmic event and it it resets her she figures out a way to sort of reset a week and get another chance to try to like do something about the world ending but it's but it's totally hopeless. It's like a person against like a giant cosmic event. So there's not really any possibility of changing it. But, she, you know, it's a question of like what she chooses to do in terms of continuing to try to make any sense of kind of what's happening. So that it's a very like existential, weird, weird movie. And that's where we went with our second one. Our first one was kind of like a, a, a horror mystery. Then we're like, let's make a like a super strange existential sci-fi movie. So Yeah, love it. So at that point, were you kind of trying to raise your budget level a little bit or kind of staying in the same ballpark? What was your thinking? On you know, that? It was actually like much cheaper because we were able to make it. I mean, it, it more or less is one person. Yeah. And we traveled around and we got access, access to a lot of locations for free, like really amazing locations for free. Sophia's family lived on a sheep farm at that time. So we were able to shoot a lot of it on that farm and the farmland and with sheep in it and all, all kinds of stuff. So we got all that for free. So, so we made the movie for very, very little money. And again, we raised, we ra pretty much raised the whole budget on Kickstarter. Oh, cool. And then the, the production budget of it was very, very small. So, you know, that, that already put us in a place of like, we're, we're good. The distro story with that is a little more complicated I'll, if you want to hear about that, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Get, get, get right to that. Was that kind of on purpose, though, that you kind of reined in the budget a little bit? Were you like trying to set your sights even lower or was it just this is the idea? No, it's it, so much. Yeah. Yeah. It just it, it just was sort of like this is the movie we want to make. And it ended up not costing very much because we were just able to get access to so much stuff for free. 
it, it doesn't feel as cheap as it is because it has so many locations and so many, even though it's just one actor. So the, you know, it's more or less one actor walking through different things and sometimes composited together or doubled or whatever. But yeah, we were able to really scrape, just kind of scrape together stuff with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we knew we couldn't make a movie. We couldn't make an expensive movie, right? We don't have money yeah. to make something yeah, yeah. huge, but. Right, right, right. And, and I mean, I think that that's definitely, I think the, the, one of the strategies to being a filmmaker today. And of course it's, you know, it's even harder today to make your money back than it was back then. So as we've talked about, but you know, one of the strategies I think is, is exactly what it sounds like you were onto, which is just to kind of take the resources you have, minimize your cast and crew and, and just kind of try to spend in that, you know, few tens or 20, you know, two ten or $20,000 kind of range, not try to reach too much higher than that because those budget ranges actually stand a chance of, you know, getting back mm-hmm. in the black at some point. Whereas the, you know, the sort of $300,000, $500,000 movies, those are in that kind of weird dead zone where you're not, you're not working with enough in a budget to tar- start getting name actors and things like that. You're not operating in that world, but you're operating in the world where it's going to be really hard to, you know, make that kind of money back. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I guess that's definitely true. Yeah. So you said you had some, some distribution stories about, about that second one. There. Yeah. It was a sci-fi movie. Very weird, you know, very like, not even traditional, very experimental, not like a traditional narrative kind of, kind of film. And so we were looking around and we actually like found something that we thought was very promising at the time. There was a company that was basically a video game distribution company. And they were just going to start, they had kind of brokered a deal with Steam to start distributing films on Steam because they had been very successful, you know, just, just with their video games, basically, uh, as yeah. a video game distributor. Yeah. And so they were like, we'll be the only ones in this market. We already have audiences, you know, kind of looking in our, our realm. And so we really thought like, oh, this is going to be cool. Our movie, you know, got put out first on Steam alone, not anywhere else. And it was like us. And like, I think at that time, it was like Mad Max, us, and like a few other movies, like very, very small number of movies. So, you know, we were, we were looking at how, how the revenue would play out. It turns out that it didn't go that well and they weren't able to move that many units on Steam. And the company was like, we're, we're giving up. We're quitting doing film distro. We realized like it wasn't, it just didn't work out. After yeah. about two years, they kind of, they gave up and gave us the rights back. But, you know, it was, it was interesting because they were trying something new and I was like, I'm on board for this uh, yeah. uh, attempt. And then they sub-licensed it out to uh, Indie Rights, who is an, a common distributor that a lot of people are using. I think they're you know, if we talk about distributors being like at least honest and fair, I think Indie Rights is is honest about what they do, and they they actually pay people and give real reports. I always get a report from them and everything. Nice, yeah. So I that's that's you know that's better than most <laughs> distribution yeah, yeah. experiences. Yeah, 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 for sure. Go ahead. It got put out also on Blu-ray uh, or sorry on DVD by another company who I won't name, who I'm not too happy about. And that's kind of where the movie landed. And it ended up not really making, I mean, again, we, we pretty much raised the whole budget on Kickstarter. So it wasn't like we were losing a lot of money or anything, but it didn't really end up making very much money. Probably made the least of any of our features because it was kind of hard to find the right audience for it. It's a very weird movie. And I, and I get that. And I think there is an audience for, you know, we, the reviews we get on that are either like, you know, zero stars is the worst, dumbest, most boring movie I've ever seen. Or like five stars. Why isn't every movie like this, like this yep. weird experimental thing? So yep. Yep. I'm fine with that. You know, 100% fine with that. Love seeing that. Even if it's a small percentage of people who really like it, at least we're we're connecting with those people. And that's, that's totally fine. That's totally yeah. fine. Yeah. 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 Totally. Makes sense. So, I mean, at this point, are you 
are you learning any kind of distribution lessons along the way now that you're kind of, you know, you were on your second film? Is there anything that you were, I, obviously you got and went and made a third film. So is there anything that you're kind of taking into that as you go? Well, I think we have a real, at this point, we have a realistic understanding of how hard the market is, Yeah. how, uh, how little money films make. Because I think when we did our first film, we're like, oh, it should be easy to make back. Like if you make a film, you should be able to make at least a couple hundred thousand dollars. No problem. Like it must... Must be easy. I mean, I'd heard stories of that not too long before we started filmmaking that it was like, if you can just get a DVD deal, you pretty much automatically make, you know, $100,000 just because that's the number of units that are going to be pushed out to video stores, to rental rental markets and other things like that. And so like, it's kind of like, all, the, the big thing is just making the movie. Turns out, you know, by, the, by 2012, when we were kind of starting this, that's all pretty much, there's no rental markets anymore, really. Netflix is starting up and kind of buying titles, but they aren't paying very much. Other other outlets, you know, everything is kind of moving away from physical media into beauty gradually. And, you know, the the money is kind of confusing because everybody's not quite sure where, how much they should be paying or what value anything has. VOD is kind of new in that regard. So, we, we, you know, at that point we realized like, okay, we don't, we got to, we should keep making films, got to keep them very, very cheap you know, because we're not necessarily like, I would like to say we're going to have a big success. It's going to be a big hit, but we make weird movies. So probably we're not going to like break out into a mainstream market anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's great to just like understand what your niche is and, and what you're doing and not have like these unrealistic expectations of getting discovered by, you know, back then it was, or way back when anyway, it was like Miramax or whatever, you know, Right, if you're right. just operating in a world where you're just making really low budget movies and having realistic expectations about what those movies can do, and you can find your own kind of little niche and your own kind of voice and your own kind of movie and just kind of keep doing that, that's a great plan. And it sounds like that's kind of exactly what you've done. So yeah. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's been, our go that's been our goal. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the next movie, if I, am I allowed to jump ahead? I don't want to, you know, I don't no, wanna... no, no, you're allowed to do anything you want. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> Our, our next film actually became a little more interesting too because so it's called blood of the trib it's, it's a very strange homage to like 70s lesbian vampire movies wow, okay. uh we love I'm like sorry, the, the hammer the films tribids tribids t-r-i-b-a-d-e-s yeah tribids okay okay got it which is like an antiquated term for a for a lesbian so it's yep, basically yep. blood blood of the lesbian yeah so it's an homage to to the early 70s like lesbian vampire films hammer made a few like twins of evil and the, the whole Karnstein trilogy there. And then Jean Roland and Jess Franco made a number of movies like Vampiros Lesbos was a Jess Franco movie, Lips of Blood. There, anyway, so we're very, very niche, like super, super specific market that we were, were like, we like these movies. We want to make our version of these where we kind of subvert some of the politics of them because they're very like, they're a bit misogynistic and they're a bit like, uh, exploitative and so we're like what if we did like kind of a flip version of that and play around with the politics and make it about something that we're interested in and so that's what we did with blood of the trippets and that's fine we thought it's you know again very niche niche movie did did okay at festivals ended up that we did not sign with the distributor and this okay. is interesting at this point because this is our movie that has made the most money mm. for us at least I, maybe not the movie that has made the most money, but the, made the most money for us directly because we did not sign with the distributor. Instead, we realized at that point there were opportunities to go directly to places like Amazon and use kind of like make, make kind of piecemeal deals. So we made like a VHS distro deal. We 
made our own DVDs. Uh, we did a Blu-ray deal with this company called Horror Pack. And so we kind of piecemealed it out. And at that point, we realized like that having that control got us a lot more opportunity and made us made us more money. At that at that stage, also Amazon, this is like the, the golden moment of of kind of our trajectory was yeah. Amazon was paying like 16 cents an hour for movies on Prime. So we got the movie on Prime. We were making like like over five grand a month for a, a short period on just Prime, just Prime streams. So people watching it for free, over five grand a month. Didn't last that long because Amazon was like, we're paying too much money to these these filmmakers. So we're going to cut the rate. And then they cut it down to like five cents. And then a few months later, they cut it down to one cent. So now the current Amazon, and, and they also don't take very many indie uh, films or, or low budget films on Prime. So, but for a moment there, or a moment there, we were like, this is great because what, if, if we can be generating, if we can do like two movies a year, make two movies a year that are doing this well on Amazon, we can make plenty of money to live on. Like we keep making movies. We could, so, so for a moment, for a, a speck, a speck of a moment <laughs> yeah. in time, we were, yeah. we had hope. We were yeah, like, we're a like, vision of the dream, right? Yeah. This is a career. This is a career. Yeah. We can yeah. do this. This was uh, probably uh, around, I'm guessing then around 2017, 2018. That's about when Amazon. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. Yeah. So the movie, the movie came out at Fest in 2016 and then released in 2017 on kind of VOD and such. And then by like 2000, you know, late 2018, it was the, the age was over. Everything so dried up. <laughs> yeah. 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 So was that, I mean, you, you said you made about, I don't know, $5,000 a month or something like that. So you enjoyed kind of that ride before the rates started going down. And I assume you were basically able to make your money back on that. I think your third feature. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the budget, the budget for that was, was, was like maybe 25,000 yeah. anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and we raised some money on Kickstarter again on that. And then, so we also, yeah, so we, 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 I, I wouldn't say we got rich on it, but we definitely more than broke even, you know, we made some money. We, we were like, this is a, a living wage on a movie for a little bit for a, for a brief period of time. And so, yeah, so that's, so that was a success for yeah. us. Yeah. So when those rates started to drop, were you already kind of working on your next project at that point? Or were you still kind of, kind of riding yeah, that way? Yeah, we were. Project or, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were, we were. Again, same idea. We're like, we, we, we're good with this. We're going to make something. We know we can, we know the path yeah. to success. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then a, as we were working on our next project that we made a film called Clickbait, which is kind of a social satire. Uh, it started out as, we're like, we'll make a straightforward horror movie. And then uh, like, as, as always with us, it just got weirder and weirder. So I'm like, this is not a horror movie at all anymore. This is just a weird satire film, which is fine. But yeah, so we, we made that film and at that point, all of our normal kind of like distro plan, our self-distro plan kind of had dried up. So we're mm -hmm. like, okay, maybe self-distro, maybe self-distro is not the way to go. Maybe we changed our mind about self-distro. And so we signed with a company called ITN and I'm probably violating my contract, but I don't care, but we have never gotten paid by them. Oh, never wow. gotten paid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the, the kind of discussion with them initially seemed to be, it, you know, it's a lot of stuff. I've learned a lot from that, that kind of contract negotiation and that discussion, because it's kind of like, oh yeah, they're getting all their movies into Walmart and the, all those movies are making X, X dollars for physical media in Walmart. And oh yeah, they're doing this. Oh yeah, they're getting these cable deals. But none of that is like guaranteed, right? In, in the contract, right? So it's like, it's like, okay, this looks fine. So I don't mind if they have some expenses because like, it'll work out, it'll work out fine. And then of course they lost their, you know, they lost their Walmart deal. They lost, all, all this stuff happened where it's like they, no longer really offered what we thought they were kind of offering us. 
and they've never we've never gotten paid by them for it. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad. But unfortunately, a kind of a common story. Were there any red flags like when you were kind of signing the deal? Were there any red flags that in retrospect, you could have seen like how that would turn out or? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm much more, I'm much, much more strict about contracts now and everything. I mean, I, I, won't, I, don't, I don't, I trust nothing at all unless it's in writing there. And, and even then it's sort of like they can write stuff, but like, how are you going to enforce it? Like, am I going to go sue them? Am I going to spend $50,000 suing them to get back $20,000? Like, what's the, what's the benefit? So they kind of have you, you know, over, over the barrel, like in that regard, because even if they promise you something, you really have no way of like getting them to follow through on that promise. But certainly like things like fees, number of years, all that kind of stuff. I would, I would like redline that whole contract now if, I, if somebody handed it to me. I'd be like, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's valuable experience, even if it didn't work yeah. out so great for that particular film. It sounds like it was a really good kind of learning opportunity. And especially at that time when, when things were changing so quickly and drying up you know, across the board in terms of Amazon payment, all that kind of thing, the, you know, the yeah, yeah. stores dying out, everything was just changing so much at that time. So to be able to kind of right. learn that lesson and move on and apply that to your next film, I think not saying that it was ideal at all that that happened to yeah. you, but at least you got that out of it. If that makes sense. Thankfully, again, it wasn't that expensive. You know, the, the budget yeah. wasn't that high. So it's like we lost money, but not, not that bad. Someday we'll get it back and I hope we'll put it out and do stuff. Now, in the background of this is that we, we had been doing self-distribution for Blood of the Tribids. So Film Hub, Film Hub came around. And so we started doing, using Film Hub to put the movie out. And they, you know, they were able to get it on Tubi. And again, for a brief period, we were making a few thousand dollars a month on Blood of the Tribids on Tubi. So you know, new, new outlet, very, very potentially lucrative for independent film. Now, again, I think that's, that's kind of drying up because what seems to have happened is that major, uh, you know, the kind of studios are like, well, look, AVOD is a very lucrative thing, you know, the, and we have a, this whole back catalog of titles that we're doing nothing with. We're just, they're just sitting around. So what if we just dump them on AVOD for like a couple months at a time, renew interest in the film and earn, earn a little bit of revenue. And so now, like if you go to Tubi, when it started out, it was all like independent films. It was all stuff you never, never heard of. Now it's like the entire like, like, uh, you know, the, whatever they could dig out of the, out of the, uh, dumpster at the studios, like just goes, goes right onto Tubi. And there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, I love seeing some of the stuff cause it's obscure stuff that that's been kind of missing, but now we're in competition with all that. So it's like such a saturated platform that it's hard to build the momentum that we were able to build with blood of the tribids, you know, where we were making that thousands of dollars a month. And so we went from like thousands to hundreds. And now we make like maybe a hundred dollars a month on on uh, Blood of the Tribids on Tubi, which is still I'll take it at this point. I mean, it's an old movie; it's a you know title. I'll take a hundred dollars a month, but it's not like as lucrative as it was uh, at one point. Yeah, yeah, and it's so sad because I remember even in the early days of this podcast, which was only a year ago, less than a year ago. That was you know even then that soon ago, Tubi was kind of up and coming for indie filmmakers. Everybody was kind of right. talking about it. Everybody was making the most money off of that. All right. So people have to watch a few commercials, that kind of thing. But everybody was kind of reporting that. And 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 it's only been in just like the past few months that that, that seems to have like it's yeah. really started to dry up. And it just seems like every time indie filmmakers find some way to get films out there and a kind of a safe, safe-ish kind of place for them, you know, they get muscled out by the big boys or whoever it is, you know, and have to move on and find something else. And it's just constantly, constantly changing. Like you can't rely on anything to persist in terms of a revenue source for filmmakers. Yeah. That's the biggest lesson. And, and things are very, 
you know, we have a monetized YouTube channel. And if you would ask me like some, some years ago, if I would ever put movies on YouTube, I would have like laughed in your face. Like, I'd be like, that's ridiculous. Yep. And now it's sort of like, we might do first, first releases on YouTube. I mean, yep. it's just yep. like, uh, Yep. I've heard talk of that too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, it's always changing and what the, what the kind of go-to place, I mean, there, there's, you know, reports now of film hub, like having to really cause some problems for filmmakers, you know? So film hub yeah. for the last few years anyway, was such a kind of a great resource. Sure. You have to give up 20% of your revenue or whatever it is, but you, you know, you kind of have this aggregator to get your film out to all of these platforms. But now I'm hearing all kinds of problems coming out of film hub and I don't want to I don't want to be bad mouthing film up or anything like that. So I'll say that I have no idea what those problems really are. And I don't have personal experience with it, but it just yeah. seems like nothing is reliable. You know, it's so hard. So, yeah, I think the majority, uh, just, just to talk about film up for one second, I think the majority of the issue right now is, you know, they're, they're kind of an experiment. Honestly, I yeah. think they're, they're yeah. kind of an entrepreneurial experiment. Yep. And so they're like, we'll take everything. We'll, we'll just take everything and we'll figure it out. But a lot of the films that they're going to take now are not going to earn much revenue at all. And so they're dealing with a lot of resources that are going toward that. And what was happening is a lot of filmmakers started being really picky. So they'll, they'll have a movie. Let's say, you know, I made a movie and it has nothing really of value in it. And it makes, it's going to make like $20 a year in revenue, but I'm kind of like picky about what channels it's on. I'm constantly emailing them being like, Oh, take it off this channel or move this or do this. Or so they, they were getting a lot, I think a lot of, a lot of that and they couldn't keep up with it. So they were trying to find ways to stem the resource hog of the people who aren't really generating revenue anyway. And uh, I, I get what they're doing and I think it makes sense and probably will be beneficial for everybody who's serious in the long run. But that's to be seen, it's to be seen. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, may, may go badly. And, and look, like they're, they're really, in my view, they're an experimental company in, in a lot of ways. So whether they can survive and find a way to, you know, to make this work, is an open question. I mean, it's a, it really is. And that, that's, that just speaks to the, the, the devaluation of kind of all this content and all the stuff that we're making. So I don't know. I don't know. I hope they're around. <laughs> we're, we'll probably use them for our, um, you know, upcoming or as part of a strategy, not necessarily the only part, but as part of a strategy for our upcoming release. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. I mean, use them until it doesn't make sense to use them anymore. And, yeah. you know, when something else Absolutely. comes along, if, you know, something com else comes along. So. So, yeah, we kind of, you know, got into some great stuff, just wanted to backtrack a little bit and kind of make the the connection between, you know, the last film you made. I'm not, I've kind of lost count of where we are in your story of making films and that's okay. But, you know, kind of fill us in, like, like from the, I think the experience with clickbait, I think is where we kind of left off, you know, yeah. can you get us from there to here and, and talk about where you are? Sure. At? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, we did a couple of like weird projects in between, but I'm going to skip those because they're not really exactly normal commercial things sure. anyway. So our, our focus project since right, right after Clickbait is the Once in Future Smash and End Zone 2. So it's a pair, pair of films. So we thought that, that's already advantageous because we've got two movies now at least. <laughs> but maybe, right. maybe we, can, we can double revenue or something like that. And we were very confident. We were like, you know what? This is a, a, a unique concept. We managed to get enough name, kind of like horror name people involved in it, that we were confident that we could get a distro deal because I, I, I get, now I don't know why I don't, we keep going to uh, look, looking for traditional distribution, but we did. We, we thought like we, we can find a distro deal if we can get it into some major fest and kind of be successful with that. We can get a good distro deal that will pay for our budget and, and make the movie a success. So we started the movie in 2019, the two movies. We shot End Zone 2 in late 2019. We shot once a future smash 
half of it in February 2020. Mm -hmm. And as you can guess yeah, what happened. We all know what time that is. <laughs> so yeah. that, that, that so, word 2020 kind of, you know, sends shivers down people's spines now, especially yes. filmmakers, right? And things in production yes. at that time. <laughs> so the movie was supposed to be done for the fall festivals in 2020. It premiered in uh, summer 2022. We were able to like, we, we waited till, you know, there were some semblance of safety and like, you know, people were vaccinated and, and everything. And then we managed to find ways to shoot everything in a, in a kind of safer way that, than we originally planned. You know, we had to make some changes to what we were going to do, but we, we managed it. We finished the movie. We premiered at Fright Fest, which is one, for, nice. from my perspective, one of the top, you know, top five genre fests. We premiered in the U.S. at Scream Fest, which is, you know, one of, one of the great U.S. fests. The, re the reviews were very positive. You know, the response is very positive. We did a bunch of other festivals after. So we thought like, this is a short thing. We'll be able to sell this movie to somebody. And what we were asking for. And, and I'm is, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I'm curious. Are you playing uh, just once in Future Smash or are you playing no, no, no. both of them kind of as a pair or like, how's that work? Double feature. Yes. Yeah, Double yeah, yeah. feature. So, okay. Wow. Yes. So that great question because we're the jerks who are. So for anybody who's done fil film festivals, it's hard to get a film into a film festival, a future yep. film. It's yep. hard. So we're going to them and we're writing them a, you know, a message that's like, hey, we've got these two films. Yeah, yeah. Not, not only are we asking you to you know, play, play one film, we're asking you to play two films and create this kind of experience around it because we want it to be like something a little, a little more special than just like, here's a film. And they, they, they loved it. I mean, they, you know, like Fright Fest, honestly, the programmer at Fright Fest said he was at Cannes, read the, read the, like the, the cover letter that we wrote on Film Freeway and watch like five minutes of the movies and then ca called us to try to like get the world premiere because he was nice. like, I, I love this. Wow. Like I want it. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so the concept, the con, I mean, he, he looked at it to see like, okay, this looks reasonable, but yeah. like the, the concept is what sold him on it right away. Yeah. He was like, yeah. oh, I, I want to do this. I want to do yeah. this. Yeah. And that's the, you, you kind of made a gamble. I think that, that yeah. you're doing something that on paper makes it more difficult to get in, but at the same time, it's different. And so maybe it makes yeah. it less difficult to get in, you know, that's yeah, the I, I, it off. Yeah. It was a risk, you know, cause we, we fully were prepared for every fest to be like, absolutely not. Like we were a hundred percent prepared for them to all. And, and in the beginning we were like, we only want them to play as a pair. We're like yeah. later on, maybe <laughs> we'll be okay with, with separating them. But at the beginning we we're like, we want this to be the experience. We want it to be the pair of films. So it was a risk. It was yeah. certainly a risk. But yeah, and it's two and a half hours of programming time too, in probably a field where most movies are kind of trying to be kept at an hour and a half, yeah. right? So yeah. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our our semi argument was like we're barely longer than Terrifier two, but but uh, I don't know if that's a valid argument <laughs> anyway, but right. That was, was we like, how long like, is Terrifier two? I think it's like two hours and 25 minutes wow, or something is like it that. Really I don't know. That long? It's I don't know. It's it's long. I don't, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, it's just a, a super cool story. You know, both of those festivals are, you know, really big accomplishments to get into those festivals in the horror space. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, we were, we we're very happy. We, you know, we've been rejected many times from both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you gotta, you gotta so get we, used so to we, rejection you know, we, as a filmmaker. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got, we got there, we got into those fests and that opened the door for the conversations that we wanted to have with distributors. Cause they're right away. They're like, oh, your movie played Fright Fest. It must be like a reasonable, reasonable movie. And so we had conversations with maybe a dozen, you know, over the course of a year, about a dozen distributors that we were interested in. We didn't even talk to the ones that we know are, you know, garbage, garbage distributors. Right, right. right. And a that's, that's that the benefit like, of experience right there, too. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. I, I, yeah. Being able to pick I, those I, out. I know, 
Yeah, I, I I know a lot of the bad ones, and we're we're you know we're probably all involved in Facebook groups where we talk about all this stuff all the time. So, you know, we see all that stuff. So I so I know I kind of have a sense of like who is honest and who's not. So we talked to about a dozen of like potentially you know good honest distributors. We said we need you to give us the money upfront that covers the cost of production. Mm-hmm. That was about for the two films plus like our other you know promo costs and everything. We we're asking for about sixty thousand dollars, which is you know a decent amount of money. But I, I feel like we wanted them to commit to sixty thousand for the two films to get combined, you know, combined. And so, well, let me step back a little bit. We were sure at one point that we were going to be able to sell this to Shutter. We're like, Shutter is going to buy this. They're going to give us the money. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out Shutter had spent an entire year ahead of its budget the previous year. And then AMC, I don't know if you saw the AMC stuff where the, the CEO of AMC is like, we've, we've made a horrible mistake with all of our streaming services. We, they're all losing money. We're going to cut all of our expenditures. And so, so they were like firing half the staff at Shutter and doing all So anyway, our whole plan to do that was like, basically out the door. They're like, we're, we're not, they said, we're not acquiring anything else this year. And then we could talk to you. They're like, we could talk to you about a catalog acquisition after, but you know, that's going to be for like $3,000. I don't, I don't know what the number would be, but it'd be a small number. Can I, can I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but can I ask, are yeah. you repped at this point at all? Or are you just having these? No, we're not directly. Yeah. Okay. We just, wow. we, no, we built enough connections ourselves that we could reach out to people directly, or we have friends who are connected in ways that they could reach out for us. But nice. yeah, we don't have management. Management's a whole nother, that's a, a lengthy other conversation because it's sort of like, I would like management, but I also am reluctant to sign with management until we have the right person, you know, the right, yeah, the yeah, right totally. choice. Yeah. yeah. So no, we have no management. We have no, no reps. The films aren't wrapped. There's no producers rep or anything like that. I don't think we really need it. We're able to have those conversations ourselves directly. Well, are, are, so you're able to talk about what you've gotten out of uh, the deal because you were talking about trying to get a $60,000 okay. $60, MG. So, Are you able to go into more detail yeah, on what resulted from all yeah, those yeah, conversations? Yeah, so, we, so yeah. We, ta- we, we talked about all these, uh, we had these conversations with these distributors. Yeah. Only, uh, so all, all of them said, ultimately said no. They, yeah, okay. all, they all said yeah. no to the, they, they yeah. all said they, they, they wrote us, I mean, every single one of them wrote us like five pages about how they love the movies, they love the concept, they want to put out the movies but they don't want to give us that much money up front. I, I don't know what numbers we could, maybe we could have gotten 20 or something up front. There was one company, there was one company, I, I won't you know name names, but there was one company where one of the, the, the main acquisitions person really, really wanted the film. He was like, I, I want this, I want these films. And he went and made a case to the rest of the, the, the people who make the decisions. And they ultimately just didn't go for it, but he, he tried, he, wa- yeah. he wanted it and he tried. The other companies, they were all like, either, uh, you know, n- no money up front, a small amount of money up front. And they gave us the whole spiel about how like they, they're going to get it on all these platforms and do all this great stuff with it and promote it. And, and I'm just like, I don't care. Like, give me $60,000 or no, or you can't have the movies. Because my perspective is if you believe these movies will make money, then you will be able to give me $60,000 now showing me that you believe these movies will make money. And if you can't do that, then you don't believe it. Yeah, it's a sentiment that makes total sense. Like I'm all in favor of that. The problem is, is that the world just isn't working that way right now. And yeah, so it's a, it's a right. really gutsy move to a gutsy but perfectly sensible move to make to kind of ask for that upfront in the contract. But yeah, I'm not surprised that you had a hard time getting anybody to go for it. No, no, nor time. am I. Yeah, no, yeah, right. And you knew, right? Yeah, no surprises on yeah. your end, right? Yeah, yeah. Go no, ahead. we're not surprised either. But 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 the thing is. 
it's sort of like, well, what are they offering beyond self-distribution, right? So yeah. any, uh, there's a lot I can do myself. I can yeah. broker a lot of different deals myself and then get paid all of the money instead of like whatever percentage, you know, that they're, they're going to give us. So I'm not surprised they said no, but I'm also like, well, if, if they don't believe they can make that money, then they're not better for us than doing self-distribution. Right. And yeah. that's, and that's kind of what they're revealing in my, from my perspective, they reveal to me by not offering us that money, they reveal that they can't do anything for us. Yeah. Kind of the standard, I think, way for those distributors to go now is they're just going to add your film to their catalog. They're not going to put any marketing muscle behind anything. And I think there's so many filmmakers that go for that, that that's what, you know, there's nothing, there's, they're not, they're not incentivized to offer any kind of MG these days because so many filmmakers are so desperate to say, I found a distributor, you know, when yeah. more and more finding a distributor is kind of meaningless these days, uh, you know, it, at it least is, yeah. at that, at that level. So, you know, it's, it's a really tough place to be. And I kind of like, I wish that like filmmakers could all just kind of get together and say no deals to anybody unless you give us, you know, some MG cover our production costs or whatever, you know, like put your money where your, where your mouth is. And if, and if, indie filmmakers across the world did that, then maybe we could actually get somewhere, but they won't. That's, they yeah, that's what I, I mean. Uh, in those filmmaker groups, that's kind of what we constantly, you know, uh, there are a bunch of us who are like, it's it's simple, like offer an MG that covers production or or no deal. Like that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's the terms because why, what do you need them for otherwise? Go go to Film Hub or, you know, even, even like an indie rights who, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, insult them and call them an aggregator, but like they're a little more like that style of thing where they're, they're, they're a distributor, but they're just, they get it on a bunch of platforms. They're not, they, they say outright, they're not going to really promote it or anything like that. They're just functionally getting it, getting it out there. And, th and those companies are fine. They charge 20%. They're, th they will pay you. You will receive the money that they, they earn. They'll give you, you know, reports on that information. And that's fine. That's, that's totally acceptable. Yeah. Everybody else, it's kind of like, I, I think a lot of those companies will fold. I think a lot of the smaller distributors will, will end up collapsing because more and more people are becoming savvy to, to the idea that like they don't, need them and they they're not paying them and i think those like you know the, the the kind of social media gatherings of all these distro people is helping because we're all kind of like don't don't be scammed like we've been scammed i've been scammed you know multiple times like you don't need to have the same experiences as uh we all had we're, we're telling you don't do this like yeah. don't bother with it yeah yeah put the pressure on <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah so i mean again yeah like you said that's a and that's a really important point I don't necessarily think they were going to give us that money. I think the films are worth that money and I think we will make that money back. But I don't necessarily think that they were going to take that risk. But if they're not going to take that risk, they're not partners in this venture. That's the way I, the way I, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. So do you have any kind of any, any more to talk about in terms of where you've landed then with those films there? I know you gave me like a private link to, for Vimeo to watch them. So I take it that they're not actually publicly streaming now. You know, do you have, can you talk about your plans for them? And I know this is all in progress. Yep. It might have to be guarded a little bit, but you know, what can you yeah, talk no, about? Yeah, no, no, I can tell you, I, I, we're trying to be very transparent. That's yeah. our goal now. This is my, this is my, that's why I'm like, I'm giving you like budget numbers and stuff. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, being totally. no, you've been great. 100% yeah. transparent. Like, that's I, what I don't this care. podcast is all about. And I love when that, when that happens, you know, and some people don't want to do it and that's cool. Still yeah. get lots of valuable yeah. information. But when I hear those actual numbers that other filmmakers can take and digest and run through their heads, it, I think it's so helpful and we need so much more of that. So really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. I'd like, go ahead. I'd like everybody to be open. Yeah. I'd, I'd like everybody to be really open about their experiences. And I think that's going to help us all. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're running a Kickstarter campaign right now because the reason we had to do that initially is like, so we're in the hole, maybe $60,000 on the, mm -hmm. on the movie. It's like with, did you with, have a Kickstarter campaign for production of those films? We did not. 
We did All right, not. So this is so, is this your own money that you've sunk into this? If you yes, don't mind me asking. It is. Okay. Wow, that's a it lot. It is so it is our own me. money. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So part of the reason that happened, and this is like goes back to the COVID problem. Part of the reason that happened is we we kind of rushed these into production because the timing was such that we got access to Mad Monster Party, the convention that it was shot at, mm. like very close to the time we needed to go into production. We need to get everything ready quickly. And yeah. so we're like, we're not gonna raise money up front. We're just gonna get these done and we'll have these movies out within like a year and we'll be able to start earning revenue back and paying off the, the whatever debt we take on as a result yeah. of this, yeah. which yeah. did not happen, did yeah. not happen. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that was the intent. So now we, we took out, you know, I mean, uh, we, we, some, of it, some of it has been paid off just by personal life paying off. Some of it is in, in the form of like a COVID loan, basically a government loan that, you know, we, we, we used to pay off like some of the uh, outstanding company debt at that point. It was not, not one of the forgiven ones, unfortunately. You know, I know some of the, the COVID loans are forgiven, not forgiven. So still paying that off. But yeah, ultimately, it's all, it's all our debt. It's all our uh, produ yeah. producer debt at this point. Wow. So one thing we wanted to do, because we really love physical media and we really feel like these films deserve a physical media release. And one thing to add is none of the distributors also will ever commit to doing a good quality Blu-ray release. Nobody wants to do actual replicated Blu-ray releases anymore because they, it's hard to move enough units. Mm -hmm. So we really want to do, we want to give the movies their fair due from our perspective. And so we, we did a Kickstarter campaign and the goal was very modest $10,000 goal that would cover at least the cost of doing Blu-rays, VHS for Endzone 2. So we, we kind of envisioned that this movie from 1970 would have been something that people discovered maybe like at a video rental store or like, you know, something that, that they would have seen on VHS. So VHS is like a great format for it. The uh, aspect ratio is also like uh, pretty much 4.3. So it's, you know, it's, it's something that lends itself really well. So we want to do VHS release of that. And then we, we wanted to do a novelization of the of Endzone 2 as well to kind of oh, wow. play with the era and like the way that that's, that storytelling is done. Yeah. So to cover all three of those, we needed to raise 10 grand. And right now we can't pay another, we can't go another 10 grand into debt on the movies. So we're, we're like, we need to do this. So we did, we started a Kickstarter campaign that covers that. And we've already, we've already reached that level. And now we're just hoping to pay off some of the other, we have some deferred costs and some other things and to pay off some of our debt on the movie. And so we're continuing that campaign through the end of January, but we're already very happy that we were at least, at least able to get that physical media release. So that's okay. guaranteed at this point. Okay. The second, the second thing that we're going to do then after that, now that we have the physical media sorted, is figure out some kind of VOD release. And the, the, uh, the short version of that is I don't really know. We might just do the, like, the spaghetti at the wall thing and, and put it on Film Hub, release it on our YouTube channel, and uh, just you know, see where the revenue comes in rather than trying to like, really strategically go like one. You know, so, some people will take a very slow strategic approach, like do transactional first and then kind of aim for other things. I think we might just kind of like blast it out, let people see it, see what, see what people's experiences are with it. It's kind of a weird project because there are the two movies and on VOD, they're going to be separated. So like, you know, we, we've talked about the experience at festivals where you're, you're seeing the pair of movies together on VOD. It's just going to be about like you discovering whichever one of them. And, you know, for end zone two, you might just like be browsing and be like, what is this 1970 weird horror movie I've never heard of? And then play it and, and see this strange movie. So 
Do you actually, I'm curious, just to, just to break in, sorry to interrupt, but <laughs> just yeah, yeah, I have no, the no, thought, please. like, like, are you actually tempted to like put the date of the film that's in oh, the description? Oh yeah, it's going to be 1970. Can you do that? Oh, Is yeah. that, do you have control? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. That's crazy. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. It's on IMDb. It's not, yeah. yeah. It's on IMDb. It's 1970 uh, already. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Wow. Yeah, I think so. I think we should be able to to get it on the, all the platforms listed as 1970. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna try anyway. Yeah, fun. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, I, I have no idea how people will discover it or what their experience is gonna be like, or whether they're just gonna like Google it and then kind of see the two, you know, understand the two films together. Whether they'll watch because if you just watch End Zone Two with no context, like that's a different experience than seeing it in the context of you know knowing what the project is as a whole. So I don't know. Yeah. So we may just we may just do that. We haven't fully decided. We'll just you know what what is the right. I don't even know if there's a good VOD strategy uh, at, at this point. Well, I, don't, I have no idea what it is. Yeah. No idea where the revenue is. It's it's totally hard to know. So yeah, going to be a really interesting time, I think. And I'll probably have to have you back on the show in like a year to follow yeah. up and see how how it all turned out for you, or a year or two years. I don't know. You know what, who yeah, knows how long yeah. that. I will know in a year. Be, yeah, yeah, we'll know in a you'll, year. You'll yeah. have some idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask you just kind of related to that, but then looking back on the other films that you've made as well, like when you release these films, how much actual kind of marketing and promotional work are you doing? Are you doing Facebook ads? Are you yeah. doing you know, all of those kinds of things? Yeah. Can you talk to that at all? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. We've tried different things and it's really hard. I mean, this is, this comes down to like the problems with the, like the pay per stream, because like if we're on Amazon, for example, we're getting paid one cent an hour. I can't very well pay for ads to get people to click and go to watch it and basically lose money on the, on the stream of that. We could probably drive traffic to something like Tubi, like if we did Tubi ads, that probably would be worthwhile to do because the, the the cost is you know the payout is high enough. We've tried different things. I don't even know. Again, I don't know what's best now versus what was a, what worked you know five, five years, years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. For a while we were we were like with Blood of the Tribids, we were we were really trying to snowball Amazon to make sure we were getting that that high revenue, and so we did. We we did a lot of ads on Facebook to drive traffic to Amazon to get people to watch it there. Because that's part of the trick. I don't know if people realize this, but like a platform like Tubi is a great example. You're going to make money if you can get the movie into the first, you know, the first 10 movies listed in a, in a category, for example. But that only happens when your movie's already popular. So it's sort of like you have to get your movie to be popular so that it moves up in the listings and then it'll stay popular. It's kind of like, oh, I'll watch this thing that's already in the top. So I, I describe that as kind of a snowballing, a snowball effect or snowballing on these platforms. So if we can kind of like push all of our energy. My guess is that we'll put all of our energy into Tubi, for example, for a period of time when it comes out and we'll do all of our advertising, whatever, whatever advertising. We're not going to spend a lot. Of, you know, this is this is tens or hundreds of dollars, not thousands of dollars a advertising to try to drive traffic. Probably it's going to be very, very focused on a week or two, a period to try to get the movie into that kind of like recommended category. And we'll ask all of our friends, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say, please, like, we need you this week. Yeah. I don't care if you watch it or not. I right. just need you to go to two. Just start it. <laughs> and like start the, start the movie. Like, I don't care what, after that, do whatever you want. Like, but, but we need to get thousands of views in that one period and that will then make Tubi think like it's a popular movie. I mean, it, I guess it is a popular movie at that point and, and push it up in the recommendations and then thousands more people will watch it. And if, if people like it, obviously they'll recommend it and they'll spread the word about it and, and so on. 
I think we'll probably also hire a publicist mm -hmm. to try to get a few major media outlets to cover it. We've gotten a lot of a lot of reviews and a lot of press already, but not necessarily in like the biggest, biggest outlets. So probably it'd be good to get somebody to, you know, spend and that's going to be expensive. That's that's yeah. the part of the question is like you're talking a couple thousand dollars probably to do that. And it, and it doesn't drive views necessarily. That's the thing that's tricky, too. It doesn't necessarily it's not like a write up in Entertainment Weekly means you're going to get thousands of views. It's more just like the awareness goes up. And also it helps you. We always talked about this when we were in bands. Sorry if I'm rambling too much, but no, 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 we always talked great. about this in bands. Yeah. I would tell people, I'd be like, I'm in a band, I'm playing a show. Would you like to come to the show? And they'd be like, yeah, maybe, whatever. But uh, we lived in Boston at the time. If we got a write-up in the Boston Globe about a show that we were doing, pe tons of people would turn up. Like people we knew would be like, oh, your band is like popular. I should go see them. So it's like a, it's like a psychology a psychology about the thing. And so like having a big write up in something like, and I'm just, you know, picking arbitrarily like entertainment weekly or something, a, a, a known, a known press entity would get a lot of people to say, Oh, your movie must be good. I should check it out. Even the people that we already are asking to check it out. Like they, they'll be like, Oh yeah, I guess it's good. So we'll probably try to do that. And, and again, the Kickstarter campaign will help us a lot if we can raise, you know, a, a bit above where we are now, that'll help us to cover that kind of promo costs at least and help us to do that. And I think, I think that'll be worthwhile. It's, it's always, it's like who, whoever knows what's worthwhile and what isn't, but that's, yeah. that's probably where we'll, we'll spend a little, you know, we'll spend yeah. a little to do Yeah. That. that sounds, sounds wise. I mean, like, I don't know either. <laughs> Nobody knows, yeah. but it sounds reasonable to me. So like I said, it'll be really interesting to kind of track your progress and, and see how, you know, in, in another year, see how things have worked out for you. Because I think not only is it, you know, good to just hear your own personal experience, but I think that we're definitely more than we probably have been for the past few years at kind of a crossroads in terms of where indie distribution is going to go. And you're going to be part of that. I think, you know, you're going to experience that firsthand and we'll be able to definitely comment on, you know, what, what, you know, with, with Tubi kind of getting weird and film hub, maybe getting weird and indie rights kind of doing well. I know a lot of filmmakers are testing, you know, how's all that going to play out in the next year? And it'll be really interesting yeah. to track that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, anybody who gives you advice and says like they know they they they're like I'm an expert I know exactly what you need to do they're they're a, a liar or they're wrong like because they yeah, you know totally. anything that you anything you did six months ago it's it's irrelevant it's like right. what is happening right now right right so the problem is is that occasionally some of those people are right they just got lucky yeah. and they're right but they think that they knew and then they you know they get their heads get all big about it and stuff like that yeah, you know? yeah. but then they you know they do the next thing and then they're wrong so but yeah yeah super cool well I mean it, it's been a really great conversation. I've loved hearing your experiences. And, you know, I say this over and over again on the podcast, but I really appreciate your honesty and transparency about everything. Uh, you know, I think that that's really what we need to get to as, as much as possible. And I wish that we could get that push that philosophy up to the actual distributors or up to the streaming platforms and get more transparency from them because I think that's what we're really missing is like insight into, you know, how people are actually viewing movies on these platforms and all that kind of thing. We're sorely lack lacking any insight into that because all of these streamers are guarding that information so closely. And, you know, I wish yeah. we knew more about that, but nothing we can do about that. <laughs> just a, just a little. Yeah, we're there. really guessing. I mean, that, that is yeah. the thing. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I get for anybody who, you know, hasn't, hasn't been involved in this. I get, a, I get like a, a, a pay amount from Tubi. I have yeah. no idea how many views that is. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Like, what the watch time is. I have no idea where in the world those people are. I just get like, you know, hundred dollars to yeah. okay. And you're lucky to get that, you know, right. Yeah. You're, you're lucky to get that and get it on a regular basis that you don't have to go to Tubi and 
say, where's my check this month or whatever it is, right, you know, right. to just to get that. And I think so many filmmakers are satisfied just with that, that it's, you know, but yes, like having access to those numbers and that kind of thing. I know that there's like little indie platforms that pop up every once in a while that claim to, or I shouldn't say claim that makes it sound bad, but they, you know, they, you know, want to be open and transparent about all that, those kinds of things. And, but they just don't, you know, they rarely catch on, they rarely get, you know, that many yeah. titles associated with them. So it's a really, it's just a hard world to get into, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So we we're, we're, you know, we're kind of at the hour mark here. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? No, I think you were very generous in letting me uh, rant, rant about everything <laughs> for the whole time. So I no, appreciate you were great. that. Yeah. It didn't feel <laughs> um, like ranting at all. All felt very <laughs> on point and useful. So appreciate that. Yeah. No, I hope, I hope, you know, people, uh, become open and honest and, and kind of share their experiences. Because I think as filmmakers, you know, we, we not, not that, you know, I don't know that we need a formal union or something like that, but I think we need to unify to get, get fair treatment from, you know, from the distribution end. And uh, we only get that in, in the sort of power of our numbers and the, and the power of our collective kind of approaches to this. So, you know, I want to be part of that, that kind of collective approach. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So thanks for sharing that. And then, uh, you know, lastly, any any links you want to leave or, you know, places people can follow you, that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah. So our production company is called LaunchOver. So if you go to launchover.com, that has kind of all, links to all of our movies and everything like that. My name is Michael J. Epstein on social media. So you can find me basically on all the, all the social media slash Michael J. Epstein. Feel free to, you know, add me or reach out. I love uh, getting passionate and excited about this stuff. So yeah. You'll, you'll probably see me in any, any distro groups or any kind of conversations about this, kind of complaining about something or yelling about something or trying to stop somebody from signing a, signing a bad contract. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, yeah, I mean, like once I, once I kind of get somebody scheduled for the podcast, I tend to notice their name a lot more in these Facebook groups. And I know I've, no, I've noticed your name a lot more now. So you're, <laughs> yeah, you're definitely yeah. out there and, and uh, getting your voice heard. And that, you know, that, that helps, you know, just your, 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 getting the message out there on those groups, but it also helps, you know, kind of promote you as, as a person and what your projects are and stuff sure, like yeah. that. So it's always good to to be present on social media like that. So, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks very much for having me on. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much again for all of the openness and, and talking about the actual numbers and all that stuff. It's been great talking to you. Great talking to you as well. I, I, I realized I didn't actually specify if you want to check out our Kickstarter campaign, launchover.com slash KS, or you can search once in future smash Kickstarter. Well, that's going on until the end of January. So appreciate any anybody yeah. who has you know interest in taking a peek at that as well. So thank you again. It's been been really fun. So thanks for yeah. having me. Okay, I'll put put all that in the show notes so people know where to go. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. All right, that's all for today. Thanks everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That is the best way that you can help me grow the show and reach a wider audience of independent filmmakers and others who just want to try to understand this crazy, crazy world of independent film distribution. As always, feel free to contact me directly with any feedback or suggestions for the show. You can find me on Twitter, or should I say X, or Instagram at DarkRoseColin, or you can email me at Colin at DarkRosePictures.com. That's Colin with one L, C-O-L-I-N, at DarkRosePictures.com. And by the way, darkrosepictures.com is my website for my feature and other projects. Its purpose is not just to promote my films, but to tell the story with honesty and transparency of my own personal filmmaking journey. So if you want to follow the process of an independent filmmaker from development to distribution, this is a great way to do that. So check it out, darkrosepictures.com. 
Anyway, I want to thank Michael Epstein for an awesome conversation this week. I really enjoyed hearing his story, all the various distribution experiences, and some of the hard lessons learned along the way. As usual, I also would like to thank Jeff Reimut for his awesome work editing this episode and keeping up with my constant scheduling needs. Great work, Jeff. I have so many great guests lined up for you in the coming weeks talking all things indie distribution. So please stay tuned. Keep getting those movies out there into the world. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>